This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys survived the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's Flagrant Howls with Phil Mackey and Kyle Tyke. And, uh, you know, instead of talking Timberwolves, we decided this is just going to be another Vikings podcast now. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Let's go. 10-2. About to clinch the division. Get your Victory Monday purple daily hooded sweatshirts at scorenorth.com slash shop. And uh, Kyle, why don't you give us your hottest Vikings take before we talk Timberwolves? Not so much as a take, but I said this on Thursday. I was in Philadelphia this past weekend. Uh, I tailgated Eagles Titans yesterday. Um, so a lot, you know, just being like people like, oh, what's your story? Where are you from? Whatever. So I'm like, oh, I'm from North Dakota, but, you know, big Minnesota sports fan or whatever. Um, and the Eagles fans, predominantly the ones I talked to and hung out with, were very nice. They don't. They are so not worried about the Vikings, <laughs> um, yeah. which I mean, yeah. you know, rightfully so. They've kind of had their number, but uh, they have respect for everything else they've done. I mean, yesterday I was watching Vikings Jets at a random 16 inch TV in the Atlanta airport, but uh, it was just as much as the Wolves continue to bring me down. Thank God for the Vikings. Um, I know everyone wants to criticize being 10 and 2, but without that 10 and 2 record, man, I don't know where I'd be right now. Probably really sponsored by Marlboro. So, Shout well, out to the, the Vikings the, for keeping us keeping me alive. And the Wolves, in fairness, have actually won more games since uh, September than the Vikings have. The Wolves have won oh. eleven games. <laughs> so the Wolves have actually technically the Wolves have given you more That's joy than the Vikings on on a calendar basis. There's a chance that the Vikings could catch them this weekend. Like if the I mean the Wolves scheduled, they only have one game this work week. I think or maybe they play on Friday too. But no, they play Wednesday and then I think Saturday. So yeah. So they have like two games in a week and a half, basically, is kind yep. of how they're Yeah, but then the schedule kind of picks up with a lot of four games in a week. So, yeah, no, nothing that you haven't already said about the Vikings, but it's just nice to have a team that's competent and can close games. That's the real thing is like these one-score games. Um, you watch that fourth quarter of Timberwolves Thunder, just no ability to execute down the stretch. Um, and, you know, for better or worse, the, the Vikings can. So shout out, to the, shout out to a Minnesota team right now being good because I need it for my health. Exactly. Yeah. Chris Finch used the word immature to describe the Timberwolves against Oklahoma City. Yeah, that's 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 probably a word. There's probably a bunch of other words we could we could use. Um, But let's let's kind of let's zoom out a little bit instead of doing a full breakdown on an Oklahoma City buzzkill game from a couple days ago. Let's let's zoom out and do kind of a a state of the Timberwolves through a little more than what, 25 percent of the schedule here, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, 25% of year one of Rudy Gobert, basically. I'm just going to give you 
some statistical snapshots in some different categories. And I want, as we go through this, I just want your take on some of these. Kind of like, okay, interesting as expected. Oh, that stands out or whatever else you have in your brain as I throw these out. Okay. Got it. So again, this is uh state of the Timberwolves, like a fourth of the way through the first year of Gobert. Per 100 possessions, where do they rank in some interesting statistical categories? As a team, they are 23rd in rebounding. What do you think about that? Not great. Same problem that you, that kind of did you win in the playoffs. You know what we, in the last season, as fun as it was, one of the things we talked about was that they just, we just want them to make the play in game or the play in tournament or maybe sneak into the playoffs. So you can get an idea and get some exposure and some data on like what, when it's just two teams in a six, seven game, you know, series, what are your real issues? Cause that's when they get highlighted the most is in those playoff series. What is it? What is your Achilles heel? And rebounding was their Achilles heel. That's how they I mean. They should have probably beat the Grizzlies in that first round playoff. So to go out and do what you did and to make that deal and to put all those picks and players on the line and to still not be rebounding very well is concerning. But that's pro- rebounding specifically is probably the one thing I would say. Can we just give it like another quarter? Because I'm, I do wonder if at some point, like we saw last week against the Grizzlies, right? Like just force the other players to go get rebounds. So I don't know if that's something that will click all of a sudden with guys like D'Lo and Ant, but it's concerning that you traded for a guy to help address the rebounding issue and you're still, what, bottom third in the league, bottom 10 in the league. But that's like maybe the one thing I have hope about is that maybe at some point it'll just be like click. And maybe it's just faint optimism, but that'll click with these other guys. Like, hey, we have to also go get the rebound. We can't just let Rudy have 22 rebounds every night. We have to help on that. Yeah, and sometimes I think I think sometimes people kind of lump in like it's a buy one buy one get three for the price of one. You you buy one guy <laughs> right. and you get you get the rebounding, the shot blocking, and mm-hmm. you get the shot contesting. And he just kind of does all those things. And as you saw in that Memphis game a few nights ago, which was you know that was the first game post Carl Anthony Towns injury. It's also among the best games they've played all year. And Rudy grabbed one rebound, right? But was very impactful and mm-hmm. there's going to be times where he is doing his Rudy thing in one spot and he does his job forces a contested shot or a bad look and then somebody else needs to come in and clean up the rebound too and they're not like the somebody else cleaning up the rebound thing has been a huge problem for right so far and I mean they did I was looking back at the box score they did out rebound the thunder 44 to 42 that wasn't you know, like the biggest thing that caused them to lose that game. It was late game execution. It was turnovers again, 23 turnovers. But, you know, Nas Reed had 18 rebounds. Think about that. That's kind of incredible that this guy that went undrafted had an 18 rebound game. So I just kind of continuously blindly believe that at some point guys like Ant and D'Lo are just going to be like, we just have to go grab two more rebounds. Really, truly just that. If each of those guys could go grab one and a half more rebounds a game and get their averages like four that would be a really big deal for this lineup. Also, too, like Jaden McDaniels, I think he had one rebound, and I mean he was in foul trouble, but that can't happen. So at some point, the other guys just have to come to the table. It can't be all whoever's playing center, Rudy or Carl when he gets back or Nas. Yeah. What else? Give me something else. Okay, I'll give you a positive one. Okay. All right? The Wolves are tied. Again, this is per 100 possessions, so everything's equal across the board. Tied for fifth in block rate. Even though Rudy Gobert is actually having a career-worst blocking season statistically. 
So some other guys who have stepped in, Jade McDaniels gets you a block and a half. Uh, Nas Reed gets you a block in limited minutes. Um, Kyle Anderson gets you a block in limited minutes. Cat gets you a block. So there's there's a block party kind of going around. Yeah. That's not just Rudy Gobert here. Yeah, I think Nas has nine rebounds in his last two games. Um, so again, that it just shows maybe you have a little more length. I mean, Kyle Anderson, again, that's part of being a Swiss Army knife is getting steals, getting blocks. Um, hopefully having Jaden back, that will I mean for a while there through those first like 18 games before we started missing them. It was like him, Anthony Davis, and one other person were like the only guys that were averaging like one and a half blocks and steals a game or whatever. Um, so you need him on the court as well. He's an elite rim protector for what he does on the perimeter. But um, the counter to that or the negative is, is I think Walker Kessler, who is playing less than half the minutes that Rudy Gobert is out in Utah, has more blocks than Rudy Gobert. Yeah. So that at some point, you don't need Rudy Gobert to block 13 shots a game, but you do need him to, we talked about this earlier, he needs to get to that two blocks a game. He does so many other things that don't get recorded. We've hammered that home, but also just getting blocks would help. Like just go like finish the play, block the shot, get the ball, run in transition. Yes, yes. Um, okay, let's go to this one here. The Wolves have the ninth most offensive touches per game. I saw that today, courtesy of That's interesting. NBA stats. I thought, you know, sometimes I watch the Wolves and it feels like with the eye test, they just kind of stop moving the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, mm-hmm. it turns into the Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo, yep. uh, D'Angelo Russell dribbling show and, uh, or Carl Anthony Towns has the ball for a while or something. And they're not doing a good enough job of just like putting teams in the spin cycle. But when you compare them to the rest of the league, they average the ninth most offensive touches per game. Interesting. You know, that isn't like, what do you think about that? Cause when I think about it, it's like, okay, it seems like maybe they're moving the ball a little more than we think, but then my brain just goes to, and we've seen this now twice since Carl went down, they shot 30% from three against the Grizzlies and 33% against the thunder. Like they just, can't shoot very well and then they turn the ball over so it might be you know they might be spinning that thing around the perimeter more than we think and kind of playing into chris finch's system but you know as we said about defense defense is actually getting the ball like a stop is made when you get the ball back whether it be a rebound block shot a steal whatever offense is like the final product is scoring so if you can make all these passes but you're turning the ball over at an enormous rate. I mean, that is really their bugaboo this season. And you also can't make shots. Yeah. I mean, you can do the Harlem, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters thing where they all pass the ball around and they play the cool music, but if you don't score, then it's kind of meaningless. So I, I didn't think they'd be top 10. That's, that's probably one of the more surprising stats through a quarter of the season. It's actually a, a pleasant surprise. It's like, okay, yeah, so yeah, there's a, they're actually, and there's a, then you look at the correlation between teams that don't really move the ball or teams that, there's teams that don't move the ball and then there's teams that like don't get catch and shoot attempts too. And the Hawks are kind of bottom of these categories. For instance, those teams don't wind up scoring as many points on a regular basis. I'll give you kind of touched on turnover. So here's just one more bundle of statistical trends here. (laughs) So the wolves average the fifth most turnovers per game and they commit the fifth most fouls per game and they allow opponents to shoot the fourth best three-point percentage. So when you start to talk about the math of how you win a basketball game, okay, we're going to turn the ball over more than almost every team, commit more fouls than almost every team, and allow our opponents to shoot 
better from three-point range than almost any team. Okay, how are you making up from that mathematically? Well, the Wolves are 27th themselves in offensive three-point percentage. When you start to look at some of this stuff, it's actually a miracle that they're basically 500. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, other than, like, other just than sheer that, talent Lincoln, is winning over, I guess. <laughs> like how, how and, and that is, that's really, I mean, that little segment there was probably the best thing to just kind of encapsulate all the different frustrations and you know storylines on stuff is just, if they, and this is a big if, and if you are a critic, you can say, yeah, they're the Timberwolves. I get that. If they can just take care of the ball more, they do have guys on this team that at this moment are shooting below averages. Yeah. Um, like this is another thing. This is what caused me to inhale my 16th cheesesteak over the weekend. But as the Wolves were blowing that game to the thunder, I just kind of peeked over to the jazz box score. And it's like, oh, hey, Jared Vanderbilt is four for four from three. Um, I don't think Jared Vanderbilt made four threes in his Timberwolves career. And someone sent me a stat. I mean, again, he's only taken, I don't know, 20 some threes this season. But from a percentage base, someone I think someone said Jared Vanderbilt would be the Timberwolves' second best three-point shooter. He's shooting he on the team. Forty-six percent. He's twelve of twenty-six. Is this a thing now? Is he just a? Th- he hasn't taken that many, like you said. There, but. If you if you go back and like watch the games, teams are not respecting him enough. Even in a game where he went like four for four from three, they lost. But they're giving him a ton of space. But he is letting it fly, which is something you know he was doing in practice a year ago that we all kind of like made fun of, but. Again, that these are all like random. I'm picking stats, and it's not, you know, they lost that game. But yeah, Jared Vanderbilt right now would probably be the Timberwolves' second best three point shooter. That's not good. So, to everything you just said, if they could just, you know, cut down the turnovers a little bit and maybe get some sort of positive regression from three, again, this is where are they better without Carl? They need their best shooter on the floor. Um, but hopefully now, you know, Jaden's back. He's kind of figured it out from three. Delos had a really good 10 games, I thought. I mean, he's, Still does some D'Lo stuff, but he's been really good. So you just hope that if they can kind of figure out their shooting and get on a hot streak from three, everything else Phil just laid out is like, okay, then maybe they can kind of subsidize and figure out some of this other stuff and connect some wins together. Maybe. Here's one more that kind of plays into like, okay, how are they making up for some of this stuff mathematically? How are they, how have they found 11 wins? Uh, so they are, they are second in the league They've 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 had the second highest percentage of point blank shot attempts mm-hmm. inside three mm-hmm. feet. So mm-hmm. they one basically one in every three Timberwolves shot attempts comes at the rim, which is actually great. Yeah, you want that. You don't want to be taking a bunch of unless you're really good at mid range offense. Like if you have Chris Paul and Kevin Durant, okay, mm-hmm. take mid range shots all you want. And actually, Anthony Edwards and D'Lo are pretty good in the mid range too. So. The Wolves can kind of go to different levels. Um, and then um, on those point-blank shots, they convert 72% into baskets, which is top eight in the league. So that's another fun one. And that whether it's Gobert or Anthony Edwards, they're getting to the rim on a regular basis more than basically any team in the NBA. Now they just have to find – they either have to just get hotter from three, and some of that's right. just not going to happen now until Towns comes back. It's not like you can't, you can't just replace Towns' three-point shooting. Nasri can shoot some threes, but, you know, Cat's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. So that's that's a thing you're going to have to overcome. And we were, we are nearing a time where I can't really say small sample size anymore, but as literally just as pissed off as people are about being 11 and 12, and I would imagine you and I are two of those people, 
there's just some of these weird stats and some noise. It's like if it just flipped a little bit, they could be 14 and nine. And I'm not excusing a laundry list of effort issues and weird chemistry and all that stuff, but it's just a few of those games going back to the top of this podcast and the, you know, the Vikings winning all these one score games. If the wolves could just shoot a little better and execute just a little tighter, they might be able to pull out some of these games. I mean, they had that thunder game despite being down Carl $90 million in starting rotation. They had that, <laughs> yeah. they had that game in hand and then when I think they were like stuck on like 110 points for like six minutes, like they just couldn't score. Yeah. And then the thunder would come down and they had no problem scoring. And it was kind of, I mean, you see that in the NBA a lot, like these shootouts in the fourth quarter, the wolves just didn't bring any guns. So yeah. if you can just, there's some small things. And I think that's probably the best way to not panic yet is that there are real good stats. And Phil just laid out a dozen of them that if you can just, you know, crank a, a dial a little bit, you might be able to figure out some wins, but I do want to say you, you said it at the top, Chris Finch calling this team immature, the best stat to close this out. This is courtesy of Alan Horton. They have a league leading 21 technicals this season for a team that doesn't execute and can't close close games. Maybe you should stop giving up free points. That like goes into the word immaturity, right? Yes. Yes. And it's not, I mean, it's some of these guys. And do you have a list of, of, like technicals per per guy, like who who does someone have like five? Does cat I, have, what, how many does cat have? I don't have it off the top of my head, but I do. I wanted to selfishly say that because I think I can find it. Here. Anthony Edwards, I think is. I don't know how. Yeah, I think this is accurate. So I think Kevin Durant leads the league with eight technical fouls. Hmm. Draymond has seven. Dylan Brooks, my favorite, has seven, and then Ant has six. Okay, Carl has here four. Too. Kyle Anderson has three. I say all that. I do kind of like scold the wolves like, Hey, stop being immature. Yes. I don't really want to talk about the thunder game too much. Um, but I also will say this for one of the first times I felt kind of hopeless because I've been the guy, a couple of the things that I've always like my islands are, Hey, you know what? Fight back. Like just punch back a little bit. Like stop being bullied by other teams. I thought the Rudy Gobert ejection was horrendous. Like truly I, th- I think you should have got a flagrant one. He said today at practice, like I let my team down and stuff. I don't know, man. Like after that play, he was, the guy was standing over him and it wasn't like Rudy Gobert drop kicked him. Like he did kind of wag his foot and he probably should have got a flagrant one, but that ejection paired with a viral moment that Anthony Edwards offensive foul in transition that yeah. they Chris Finch reviewed. They went to the monitor and they held it up. We always say, like, hey, Ant, stop taking all these threes. Go to the basket. Go to the basket. You got this young puppy that you're trying to train, and he's not even getting calls that 99% of other dudes are going to get. It felt really hopeless. It's like, man, that was a moment where he would have had two free throws. It would have been a four-point game. It was a five-point swing. Now you're down 11. It's just a nightmare scenario. So, again, my dad has always been like two things. Don't complain about officiating and never leave a game early. Even though with traffic, I'm like, Dad, we got to get out of here. The Wolves are down 60. But I don't think they lost that game because of officiating, Phil. But, man, they're fishing. That was one of the worst officiated games in the world. And then for Ant to, like, not get the offensive or the, not get the, the blocking call and then get teed up, I don't know if I can say, hey, you're immature in that situation. Like, I probably would have fought the ref. So, but yeah, I mean, on the season, a bigger point. for him to have, 
I agree. In in that moment, so, I think there's going to be like five technicals during a season that I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah like you use this moment to get fired up or to fire mm-hmm. up the arena or your teammates or whatever. And then it, it goes beyond a certain point. I, to me, I, I feel like, you know, there's some games where Ant plays with joy. And that game against Memphis, he was just like bouncing around, smiling. Yep. He's taunting Memphis. It was like just a classic, perfect Anthony Edwards game. But then there's some other games, and the Oklahoma City game felt like this a little bit, where he he feels the weight of yeah no expectations, or he's he's like overly stressed out because of expectations or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. So you know, I he has six technicals on the season, which ranks fourth behind. You mentioned Kevin Durant, uh, Dylan Brooks, and Draymond Green both have seven, and then Ant has the has six. And I don't have a pie chart of I don't remember all of them, but I would say like. There was one a few games ago, maybe it was Memphis, uh, where he just kind of snapped at the official a little bit out of stress. So, I don't know. He feels like he's wearing a lot of this. He feels the weight of third year. This you know, yep. Fans are getting a little bit impatient. Um, now Carl Anthony Towns is out. So, how can we bring out the more joyous Memphis version of Anthony Edwards on a more regular basis? And I co-sign all of that. I just think, so this isn't a rebuttal. I just think that list is interesting because I see guys like in the top 10 of technicals, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, uh, Devin Booker. Booker, uh, John Morant has four. I This is just a, a an eye test thing. I could go look this up. All those dudes get a historical whistle, though. <laughs> like, So I think you're right. Ant's probably got some baggage that he's like, God, I, I'm trying to elevate this franchise. But I also wonder, too, in that example of that situation against the Thunder, He's trying to carry them back, right? Everything he's doing as much as he can. He's driving in transition and to have a call not go your way, get reviewed and then still stand. And then you get punished with a technical foul. It's just like, those are the moments where you just kind of hang your head. It's like, I don't know what else to do. I have no answers for that because you just kind of get shafted. And um, again, they didn't lose that game solely because of the officiating. They couldn't execute. No one turned the ball over but themselves, but those are the moments where you just kind of feel for the kid because it's like, you're, I know I can see you're trying, right? You're not standing with your feet cemented or glued to the floor like you did in that game early in the season. But yeah, in general, that's way too many. You can't be, you know, what league leading 21 technicals. Those yeah. are 21 points for the most part that you're just giving away. And you're already a team that has a very thin margin uh, and you got to clean that stuff up. So you got to make more shots, turn the ball over less and, you know, act like professionals. I'm looking at last year's list of technical foul leaders, and it's hilarious for a couple reasons. Ooh, I like this. Let's hear it. So it's a who's who of superstar players that are that are looking for some, <laughs> some more help, right? It's, yep, yep. It's Luca, it's Trey Young, it's alpha players that are that feel like they're getting jobbed. <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns is on this list. Yep. So Trey Young, 19, Luka Doncic, 18, tied with Draymond Green, Joel Embiid and Cat, 16. I'm going to come back to a hilarious name. Montrez Harrell has had 15. He's not like superstar, but I guess he, yeah, he, he can be a little fiery. Uh, Russell Westbrook, Devin Booker, Russ Westbrook's mostly complaining about uh, the calls that he used to get 10 years ago. And no, <laughs> no he doesn't. But the, the hilarious name on this list from last year, he had 16 technical fouls, DeMarcus Cousins. So DeMarcus Cousins only played in 48 games last year. 
15 minutes a night on average. He's just like, you know, he's had multiple injuries, tore his ACL two years ago. He was with both, wasn't he with both Milwaukee and the Nuggets, I think? Yep. And he's just a total bit player now. And he had 16 technical fouls. Basically, one in every three games, DeMarcus Cousins was pissing off an official. <laughs> the only, the only, I, I think we're on the same list. The only one, it's not as good as DeMarcus Cousins, but down at number 17, he had 12 technicals last year. Dwayne Dedman for the Heat. <laughs> I didn't know Dwayne Dedman played in 12 games for the Heat. So yeah. that's Dude, the Rudy Gobert had 12 last year, too. So and, can... you know, technicals as much as we're like hey you know you're immature try to step it up a little bit you can't just be giving away free points it is just a thing that happens you just a lot of those guys like you said at the top are you know like this is crazy but Joel Embiid was fourth what is that guy complaining about you get a generational whistle my guy just yeah, yeah. you know just go to the foul line and shoot your free throws calm you down guy you shouldn't be uh complaining <laughs> about anything but you know it is also technical fouls are a, are an expression of frustration in the moment which I think everyone knows, but to Phil's point, it's also maybe a, you know, expression of frustration of just the current situation. Like, like Phil said, he's and probably realizing, okay, you're the guy. Now we called you the guy after the Grizzlies game. You got to figure this out without Carl, without Rudy after he gets ejected. And he just, yeah. you know, might be kind of going through it. So maybe those are growing pains. Maybe those are signs of, you know, worrisome things down the road, but it's a great list. DeMarcus Cousins, probably should be in the league but again if you're worried about him getting thrown out every other day that's probably why he's maybe playing for the shanghai sharks you know uh unfortunately federated mutual insurance company can't provide a guiding hand to players who are frustrated <laughs> and yelling at officials maybe someday um but they are an official partner of the minnesota timberwolves and they've been helping businesses for over a hundred years navigate both choppy and smooth waters you never know what the business landscape or the economy is going to look like. And Federated has a ton of experience and just some of the best people in the business at just providing a guiding hand and helping you navigate the waters of running a business. They're all about risk management tools and resources. And you can find more information and a full list of industries Federated works with at federatedinsurance.com, where it's our business to protect yours. Um, let's go through some of our favorite and least favorite current things about the Timberwolves here, Kyle. We'll start with you. Give me, you know, it's just kind of kind of a buzzkill feeling after the the high of beating Memphis, and then you come back, and the Oklahoma City thing happens. So let's go back to a positive note here. Uh, give me one or two of your favorite things about the Wolves since last week. I'll give you a favorite thing. So no Carl, we think probably for December. Rudy gets thrown out in a situation where you know maybe a bonehead play, but I, I thought he should have stuck around. And I do. No excuses, no apology. If Rudy Gobert finishes that game, I, I'm pretty sure they win. That would have been a I agree. significant competitive advantage. Um, but something that always sticks with me is that when I was back for a media day once, I had heard just like about Nasri. Like we all love Nasri. There's a cool music video about Nasri that gets posted online after a win. But someone was like, he is hands down the most competitive person on the team. He's the one that takes losing the hardest. I know he doesn't have much of a history in the league or whatever. He's undrafted, but. I just thought it was cool in that Thunder game. We haven't had many games since we last you know, recorded. For him to go 13-8, and eight, four blocks, one turnover. Um, he's just, I don't know where his future is. I would love for him to stay in Minnesota. I know it's weird because you have Towns and Gobert and then, you know, Luca Garza down in Iowa. But I'm just really happy for that kid. He's a kid still who has put more time into his game and his body than I think a lot of people his age. Uh, and I hope he gets paid this summer because – he just, you know, he'll he'll go from a DNP one night, Phil, 
It's like, hey, we got to throw you in because Rudy got tossed. Yeah. And he he just leaves it all on the court. And we complain about so many other guys on this roster that don't maybe do that all the time. When he plays, he nukes his battery to zero. So I just like that guy. I think he's a great teammate. I think he's a great player. Uh, and it's been cool to watch him develop his game in three or four years. Yeah, he got 18 rebounds in that game. I mean, out of necessity, somebody had to yeah, out of necessity. <laughs> somebody had to clean some glass in that game. Um, I'm gonna say I, I think one of my favorite things is, and I, I get that some of this is is th- there's some skewed numbers here in some of these games, but Jalen Noel is starting to figure it out. Yep, that's a good one. He he was almost unplayable for like a three or four game stretch there, where they would they'd send him out there for five or six minutes, he'd turn them all over, miss some threes. And then they would just not bring him back in the game. And so he's back now to, okay, he's playing his 15, 18, 20 minutes. And his three-point shooting is starting to come around. He's not a total burden defensively every time he's out there, but that's never going to be his strong suit. Right. And so on the season now, per 36 minutes, he's now sitting at 23 points, six rebounds, four assists, and his shooting percentages are on the rise over the last two or three weeks. So he's he's back in the regular rotation. He's giving you a boost. I love it when him and Anthony Edwards are on the court at the same time. It just gives you, you know, multi-layered offense from every which direction. So I just I'd like to see them continue to to feed him minutes, 18, 20, 20. But he has to hold up his end of the bargain too. Exactly. And not just go rogue offensively and ignore defense. Like you gotta you gotta play some team basketball and sometimes he can play one on five and um and just play himself out of the rotation but the light bulb is coming on a little bit for Jalen Noel which is good to see and everything I said about Nas is true I'd love to see that guy stay in town um but Jalen Noel is the one that you know we flipped the calendar from November to December in a couple weeks now it'll open up trade season a little bit because all 100% of the guys in the league will be you know available to be traded that signed like contracts this summer um, as this thing starts to continuously roll down the tracks, whether it be with D'Lo or how you're going to navigate this summer, the Jalen Noel thing is going to continue to become a topic. Do I think he's going to get four years, a hundred million? Probably not. Cause the inconsistencies, his lows are much lower than a Jordan pool or Tyler hero, but his highs match those guys. And he, if you just lose that guy this summer, um, that's brutal <laughs> because yeah. we've seen Wendell Moore, you know, play well in spurts, but, you know, you don't really have Malik Beasley anymore. They're different players, but you just Jalen Noel is a guy that you have brought into your system and developed, and he has put made a name for himself. And you need to start to figure out how do we keep him around? Because when I think of the Wolves core, we always or young core, we think Ant and Jaden, the guys they just drafted, but Jalen gets overlooked a lot for being like 22, 23. He's a key cog to what this team wants to do, especially moving forward when you don't have as many draft picks and, you know, you don't have all these different ways to go acquire new young talent. You got to make sure that you can keep Jalen around. I, I love watching Jalen play. So what do you think? I mean, we, you and I both had like six man of the year contention before the <laughs> year. We were just bathing in Jalen Noel Kool-Aid before the season started in, in four more months from now, let's say we get toward the end of this regular season. You know, what, what is the 2022, 23 story of Jalen Noel? What do you think? What do you think he winds up doing the next four months? I mean, so since Carl went down, like you said, he's had 23 points, 24 and 21. That's not like 
those aren't unrelated. Those are very much like, okay, well, we're, we need a guy to put the ball in the basket. So yeah. I think for the rest of the season, it's just a guy that is thinking about in the back of his head, even though he said he's not, come on, like we're all humans. He's thinking about that big contract. I've said it before, but like he felt like he got screwed when he signed his first deal here as a second round pick. He got signed to like kind of a Gupta special type thing. Um, so I think you're going to see a guy that when he's questionable on the injury report is going to play that's going to give you everything he's got because his financial future is on the line. And that's probably a good thing for a team that needs energy, needs act, you know activity. Um, but I don't think there's any reason that you can't really get in a six-man-of-the-year campaign unless your team is winning games. But if this team can figure out a way to win more games moving forward than they lose, he's going to be, he'll, you know, he'll get a stray vote or vote or two in the six man of the year thing. I think that's pretty cool for a guy that was pretty unheralded kind of coming out of college and fell to the second round. So I, you know, averaging 21 and a half points, I think he can do that off the bench. He gets plenty of opportunity. They give him the ball and kind of say, Hey, run the second unit now. Um, So there's no reason that you can't, he can't average 20 between now and Valentine's day. Yeah, actually, I'll transition to one of my least favorite for you because it kind of plays into this and the Jalen Noel decision that, I don't, the NBA is so different now than it was like 20, 25 years ago in that you don't always need like true, two true point guards. You don't have like a point Mm -hmm. guard and then shooting guard. Then there's a small forward. A lot of the positions kind of blend together or there might be portions of a game where technically a guy is playing the two, but then he'll actually run the offense or, or you get guys like LeBron or Luka, some of these superstars that aren't point guards, but they're basically running the whole thing. And so everything, I guess what I'm saying is um, you can have, you should have point guards. Like I think guys like Jordan McLaughlin are really valuable because they just kind of spark things. Um, But the Wolves have a point guard dearth after this season. And I don't necessarily know what the solution is. I don't think D'Lo is back. Um, it actually wouldn't shock me if they still traded D'Lo this season to try and just like recoup some value because mm-hmm. there might be a team looking to cash that expiring contract. The Wolves the Wolves don't get a ton of value off the expiring contract because they're so far over the cap. It's not like mm-hmm. they free up. They don't free up $30 million to just go spend mm-hmm. with where they're at cap-wise. And so I guess what I'm trying to figure out here is, okay, once D'Lo is gone, if that indeed happens, what is their point guard situation? And or who else on the team do you trust running and facilitating the offense? Ant is a huge chunk of that going forward, but he's not a like he's not a point guard necessarily. Mm-hmm. Where does Jalen Noel fit into that mix going forward? How trustworthy is he? And then how many more minutes would you give to Jordan McLaughlin in the absence of D'Angelo Russell? Like I'm trying to figure out what this all kind of looks like beyond D'Angelo Russell, I guess. Well, I think the I think the one name you didn't really drop is like Wendell Moore. Like he would be a key contributor in that. Like maybe you know he is the as we said last week off-brand Tyus Jones that you pair with Ant in the backcourt moving forward long term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Jordan McLaughlin, another guy we've kind of hit it on the head that like I think he's an elite too, but I don't know if he should be starting games because physically, I mean, as much as I'm like Wendell's not as big as you think, he's still bigger than Jordan McLaughlin. Um, and again, I just to be fair, this is not a moment where we are hating on D'Angelo Russell. He has been really no, good in these it, last it's 10 more games. Of a con- it's more of a contract. Just, yeah, thing. I just yeah. long term, I don't really know if they're going to pay him what he maybe thinks. And if you don't do that, then you're going to lose him. So what are your backup options? Uh, 
yeah, I think if you're, you know, kind of nucleus at the one and two in a much less traditional sense, like you just said, is a combo of Jordan McLaughlin, Wendell Moore, Jalen Noel, Anthony Edwards. Those are all guys under 24. You could do much worse. But if that's the case, as much as D'Lo has been bad those first 10 games, he still brings you things that like, you know, D'Lo's best is much, much higher than Wendell Moore. That's kind of common sense. So you would need of those four guys, Jalen, Jordan, Wendell, and Ant, you would need Ant to take that next leap where he's doing a lot of things with the ball where you just, you don't need a true point guard. You don't need a guy. I mean, I think the Wolves are like three and one this season when D'Lo has 10 assists. I don't know if Ant's ever had 10 assists. Like, you just you would need all those guys to step up a little bit and fill in the gaps that D'Lo gives you, but they have options, and that's why, you know, I, I wonder if in 2023, 24, we look back and we're like, that's why they drafted Wendell Moore is because they knew yeah. long term it just wasn't going to work with D'Lo or they couldn't match his price, and they were going to pivot and just ant more ant more ant more ant, and then you know Wendell on the side to kind of be his co-pilot to clean up all the things that you know. Ricky Rubio would do for like a, a young Donovan Mitchell or wherever Rubio went. He was kind of that guy that was doing all the other stuff, hustle defense, setting up the team. And maybe that's what they want Wendell to do, but it's a big ask for a kid who's only played like one and a half games. It is. Yeah. It's, it's definitely more of probably a, a next year yep, discussion, yep. but I, I remember, I can't remember if you got and you and I talked about this back in the summer, or if this was more of a, a conversation with Judd on Mackie and Judd when Wendell Moore was drafted, and I love to go look at like, okay, are the who are the comps? Like, is there anyone? Yeah, you and I did this on one of our first episodes because then we had made a rule that if we're going to do comps, it has to be the nineteen nineties basketball. Player. Oh yeah, yep. And and someone there was a write up that had the comp as Ron Harper, like not Ron Harper Junior, but oh, like Ron Harper right, Senior. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Who was the point guard for the the the, the second three peat of Chicago Bulls, uh, you know, dynasty run, and. So he was a, at the end of his career. He was a point guard. He was more mm-hmm. of a combo or shooting guard, drafted. And this is—I'm sure a lot of the audience doesn't even really remember. If you were born after like 1987, you probably don't even really remember much about Ron Harper Senior. But he was a six-foot-five, sort of big-bodied, defensive-minded, dirty-work point guard. Early in his career, he would score more, but he spent the entire second half of his career. Just facilitating, playing mm-hmm. defense, grabbing rebounds, and just being a presence for other star players. And so if if you've committed to a life with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert and high, highly paid players, two of them need a lot of touches. Um, having a point guard that doesn't need to shoot the ball 15 times a night to get going or yep. dribble around, that's always been the oil and water of D'Lo. Even when he's playing well, it's like, he plays well, but sometimes it's in a D-Lo vacuum and it doesn't always like rub off on the rest of the team or get Anthony mm-hmm. Edwards going. Yep. So long-term, it would make sense if Wendell Moore could kind of fill into that role as a primary ball handler. And this is why, despite being 11 and 12 and you're frustrated and you hate Tim Connolly, that this isn't going to get any less interesting over these next couple months because this isn't just about the Timberwolves. This is about professional sports in general and a salary cap league you can't just moonwalk into July 1st without having figured out the D'Lo thing. The D'Lo thing is not getting figured out in July, 2023. The D'Lo thing is getting figured out in February, 2023, because you can't lose him for nothing. Because as we've talked about, Dane Moore has been really good about this. Like you don't just get his salary slot. That's not how this all works. So 
I'm with you. Like if this continues to be, you know, lukewarm porridge for the next couple months and they're just kind of like, you know what? We're just kind of stuck here. We need an asset. I could see them flipping them before the trade deadline. Because again, Mm -hmm. if if you're not going to come to terms with an agreement and this is, this really sucks, but this is the same for Jalen Noel. If you don't think you and his team are going to come to an agreement, you can't just lose that player for nothing. Not when you went all in and gave up all these other assets. Like you need to be really, really, really smart with the rest of your budget because you already went and spent, you know, way more than asking price for, for this big French seven foot three house. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. Give me one more either favorite or least favorite things about the Timberwolves right now. All right. Listen, I'm, I'm sleep deprived and I spent all weekend in Philly um, where it's just a tough city. Uh, so I'm, I don't mean to rant, but like, Hey, if I ran Wolves social media, like stop promoting Luca Garza. Um, I love the kid. We all love the kid. We're all like, that's us. That's for Timberwolves Twitter to do. Like that's for our thing, but stop like posting him as the main photo in Instagram posts and stuff. If Luca Garza, by the way, is crushing it in Iowa. If you have access to ESPN plus, you can watch Iowa Wolves games. I think they stream them online. Like it is a really fun product to kind of mix in like a salad with your overcooked Timberwolves steak. (laughs) But if Luca Garza cannot get into a game where the opposing center is Pokashevsky and you're without Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, Luca Garza is not going to play this year. So stop like trying to sell me on every time he gets called up to the team. If Luca Garza can't play on Saturday, and I think he should have, then he's not going to play. So stop like jumping on the bandwagon of, you know, Garzilla and stuff. You're just, he's not going to play. This is my, it's my frustration with like, I think Josh Minot should get a chance just because he is a long gazelle that does weird things that this team doesn't really do. He's probably not going to play. I'm still shocked Wendell Moore is in the rotation. So that's just a minor thing. I know we're trying to have fun, but like, stop selling us on, on, on this idea that Luca Garza is going to get in because he's not. And it, well, so I think it's stupid. Okay. Yeah, but you're lashing out here. You're lashing I am, out. I'm here. lashing out about it. Are you lashing out at Timberwolves social media or are you lashing out at like Chris Finch and the decision oh, makers good. for okay. not putting him in the game? In, look at you being the calm one here. Um, I don't know. There's by the way, the people at the run wolf social are really good people, but I don't know. I always think about uh, like, sounds college... like you're calling for heads over it. I... <laughs> college football coaches name names are, are the ones I think that like basically have to push send on all these tweets. There's an alignment between these college football coaches and their social teams. Just maybe I'm just mad and maybe I'm speaking for a large segment of people, but I think Luca Garza should get a chance. Nas, when Rudy Gobert gets kicked out in like the first quarter or whatever, Nas Reed played all the backup center minutes, like 30 minutes, and he did an awesome job. But in that case, you're 11-11, you're at home, your one center's on crutches, and your other center's in the shower. Maybe it's, maybe, you know what, apologies to Wolves Social. Like, maybe it's a Chris Finch thing. Like, how do you not just, like, Give all right, shot. screw it. Give him four minutes. Just try it. What, what do you, literally, what do you have to lose other than the game, which you lost? So if if Luca Garza can't get into that, I just I'm gonna stop getting excited when he gets called up to wave a towel because I thought that was a good spot to be like, hey, listen, nine of the guys on the court right now are six six and under. Let's just see what this big tall dude from Iowa can do. And he couldn't get in. And yeah, I was I don't think Chris Finch lost the game because Luca Garza didn't play, but I think it was a perfect time to be like, well, screw it, why not? What what's what's the worst that can happen? He's putting up insane he's, numbers in Iowa. And so he, he's yeah. averaging 28 points on 16 shots. 
He is also shooting, is this accurate? 52% from three-point range. And he's I'm, averaging nine rebounds, three and a half assists, uh, a block. And I think his I think this is right if I'm reading this kind of rickety G League stat page right. His average plus minus per game is plus 17. So and they've lost some games too. So his average plus minus is plus 17 in those games. So yeah, it's Monday, <laughs> December 5th as we were. It's a legend, this. man. It's a they play the Fort Wayne Mad Ants tonight. So I think yeah. he got sent back down and then they don't play till Friday. So maybe you'll see Luca back up and Minnesota on Wednesday, but he really crushing in the G league. And those numbers are kind of inflated because it's such a high up and down pace game, but good players usually crush in those situations. And he is damn near the next coming of like Nikola Jokic down there. I mean, he is dropping 30, 26 assists, three block. Like you said, shooting an unconscious percentage from three. And it was just like, man, this is such a perfect spot. Like, you can almost be like, well, what do you want me to do? I, I don't have any more centers. Let me throw in the Iowa kid. Yeah. And the fact that Chris Finch didn't do it, I was pretty bummed about it. And that might just tell you where I'm at mentally, that I'm pissed off at Luca Garza doesn't play. But yeah, he that that Iowa Wolves team is really worth checking out because you can watch it for free. And like, it's a him and Josh Minot. They have a Emmanuel Moutier, who was like a top. Dude, he, he was a seventh overall pick. I forgot. He's, they to, they have they have Moutier on their team. That's and they amazing. have PJ Dozier too, like. Going back to our, our discussion about who's going to fill in the, the backcourt role moving forward, like P.J. Dozier is a Tim Connolly guy. He's He was a really good player before he tore up his knee a little bit, and he's getting it going down there in Iowa as well. So he might be another option. You just kind of like, you know, if you lose D'Lo, you're just going to put three guys to try to make up what D'Lo gave you on both ends. Um, he's another one. So if nothing else, this is my this is my plea to you. Go watch the Iowa Wolves for a night. They're really fun. It's an up-and-down game, and Luca Garza is, you know, essentially Iowa Shack down in Des Moines. Don't they also have – this might just be to, to sell some extra tickets down there, but uh, that jo- Jordan Bohannon, that Iowa player that pissed off Gophers yep. fans. For, wasn't he at Iowa for, like, 13 years, I feel like? Jordan Bohannon's, like, 38 years old. You know, he's he had, like, nine redshirt seasons or something. Yeah, he is. Sell uh, some tickets in Iowa. He is like, I guess, like Tanner Morgan of like the Gophers football team. But yeah, Jordan Bohannon is somehow looks forty seven, but is still only twenty five. But he was, but he was in college last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's crazy. Like he was in college last year, and he's twenty five years old. Like who among us spent seven years in college other than like Jordan and myself? So, um, yeah, the Iowa Wolves. Van Wilder, Van Wilder, Van Van Wilder. I I wish Luca would have played again. Not as Reed held his own with 13 and 18 but sorry sorry to anyone that i i flame there i just i wish he could play they get me all excited when they post a picture of him in his little you know iowa wolves outfit and then he doesn't play so i wish he'd get a chance but that was like the thing that pissed me off the most from the weekend what, what was give me something else to close it up i'm glad you got that off your yeah your thank chat. you that well actually the, another thing that kind of pisses me off since we're venting here it, it segues into our last segment of the show here it's the uh, playoff picture update <laughs> The Timberwolves are not in it right now. That's yeah. that's the playoff picture update is there are 10 teams in the Western Conference playoff or play-in bracket. The Wolves are not one of the 10. In fact, they are now just a half game up on the Lakers for the 11 seed. They're a half game back of the Mavericks for the 10. Uh, but the good news is they're only five games out of the number one overall seed, which is Phoenix right now because the Western Conference is just jammed 
from one through basically 13. There's only six games separating the Suns from the Thunder. So there's still hope. And in their well, for the just, number one seed. And in their next <laughs> nine games, their next nine games are Indiana, Utah, Portland, Portland, Clippers, Thunder, Bulls, Mavs, Mavs. And the reason I say that is because five of their next nine games are against teams that are directly six of their next nine games are against teams that are directly above them. The Clippers are seventh, the Blazers are eighth, the Jazz are ninth, the Mavericks are tenth. So as bad as this has all been, if you believe in things getting better, there's a chance that by the time you start to pack up for your Christmas trip, that this team could be sixth in the West. They're not going to have Carl for any of those next nine games, but you do pretty much have everyone else other than Torian Prince. So if you can go on a little hot streak, like Phil and I said, figure out how to make a couple more baskets, stop passing the ball to the other team and just, you know, maybe pass it to your own teammates. Um, there's a way to slowly write this ship because again, the Utah jazz two weeks ago when Phil and I made stuffing were first in the West and now they're ninth. So this whole thing is so compact that it can yeah. flip on its head, but the only way to do that is to win games, be more mature, and maybe play Luca Garza. Life in the Western Conference comes at you fast, and that's why we give you <laughs> multiple playoff picture updates every week here on Flagrant House, your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast. All right, uh, you're going to go uh, take a nap and dream yep. about cheesesteaks. I'm going to go back and uh, rewatch another Vikings victory with the all-22 angle for Ooh, Purple Daily. That's, that's right. football porn. <laughs> That's right. So, all right, hit us up if you could by subscribing to the Score North YouTube channel. Click the subscribe button and the like button. And if you give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts, it helps spread the word about this uh, Wolves fan community that you're all helping us build here, too. It would be nice if the Wolves would – we're ready to rock, man. Like, Yeah, we're good. We're, we're doing this. It would be nice if the Wolves would also jump on at some point and give you a nice little run. But this is around the time of the year – last year yep where they did exactly that it was like middle of december into january and they started same with memphis last year so you can you can play 500 basketball through the first 25 percent of the schedule feel it out and still go on a run and i think they can even without carl anthony towns same so we'll the, 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 the one thing they've had in the last week that we've recorded and stuff is a lot of days at home not on the road days to practice days to change things implement new things um, and it gets the schedule gets tough now, but you've had some time to try to maybe make some tweaks. So, you know, again, as we'll say for 82 games this season, like it's there for you if you want to take it. Does anyone on the team want to take it? Yeah, that's our challenge to the Wolves if yeah, they're sure. listening, if they care. All right, <laughs> we'll see you guys later on this week. I'm Phil. He's Kyle. This is Flagrant House.